Father, we are so thankful for who you are and what you've done. That you have sent your son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins and that he did. And in him there is forgiveness of sins. And Father, I thank you that through Christ we have eternal life. That although these our time in this world may have trials and difficulties, you give us joy in the midst of that and perseverance that we may endure and be with you because of Christ forever and ever. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be together to look into your word, and I pray you would encourage us with your word. You would build us up. I pray our hearts would be right before you. We would confess any sin and receive your word, allow it to do its work in our hearts. Bless your word as it goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we hear of evil men and evil women who do such things as murder or abuse children or just as someone who deliberately lies or is deceitful or whatever it might be, you know, we recognize what these people are doing. And we acknowledge it's evil. And yet when we come across someone we might know or have known who ends up doing deliberate evil, for many of us it's hard to fathom that someone could intentionally do something like that. Now within the church we have the dynamic, the same dynamic, that we recognize there are false teachers We recognize there will be imposters. We've seen in the Old Testament there were many false prophets. Jesus warned of false prophets in the Gospels. In the New Testament, we have many warnings concerning false teachers and false prophets. Uh, Jude says certain people have crept in unnoticed. Uh, They turn the grace of God into licentiousness. Second Peter, we know that false teachers will arise among you. And we know that, uh, as Paul would say in Acts 20, Men would arise speaking perverse things to draw disciples after themselves. This is within the church. That evil men and imposters would proceed from bad to worse. And it's easy for us to acknowledge, biblically speaking, that those things will happen, but it is hard for us to acknowledge that they might happen here. They might happen in your midst. So how can we avoid the danger that false teachers pose? Today we're going to see the first part of a detailed warning from the living God concerning the threats of false teachers. Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 to 16. Now, a little bit of the context we've seen so far that Peter is writing to believers, those who have a like faith as the apostles do. You see, if you're a true believer, you have a like faith that the, as the apostles. You trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you were saved. And this book of Second Peter is about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and then being protected from threats to that growing in Jesus. Indeed, in chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 8, and the last verse of chapter 3, verse 18, the book is about growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Of the Lord. Do you remember we saw already that Peter has made it clear that we've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. We've been given everything we need through his precious and magnificent promises through the word of God. And it is through the word of God, by the spirit of God, we grow in our relationship with the living God. We have everything we need. And then we saw that God calls upon within that by faith to act upon his word in the context of faith. And as we grow, there should be some things happening. All these things should be happening 
moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. And if so, we are not useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Peter made it clear he is ready to remind us of these things. The Lord had made it clear he was taking Peter home. And so he was going to stir us up so that we could call these things to mind. We need to call the sure scriptures concerning what we have in Christ to mind. And then we saw in the end of chapter 1 that the word of God is more sure than any even biblically true experience. It is more sure. We have the scriptures that we do beautifully to pay attention to. And he made it clear that we should know something first and foremost, that no prophecy of scripture becomes of one's own personal interpretation because no prophecy ever came by an act of human will. But men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. God's Word is simply that, God's Word. And we do well to beautif- or beautifully to heed it. And then that moves us into chapters 2 and 3 where we have a contrast, the threats to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The threats to, to uh, walking rightly before Him. The threats to what we have that gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Threats to the Word of God. And that brings us to what we're going to see today. How we can avoid the danger that false teachers pose. Again, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 11 or 10 through 16. But this is really the whole chapter is one piece. The entire chapter. And so we need to remember that. So I'm going to start back in verse 1 and read up through our portion. And even when we stop in verse 16 today, remember it continues on to verse 22. I had planned to do the 22. It's just too much. It's just too much. You see your outline. There's no room for anything on there, is there? Right? So let's begin. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not ill. Their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, or we know Tartarus is the Greek word there, and committed them pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the whole world of the ungodly, And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. Then... The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And here's our passage. And especially those who indulge in the flesh in its corrupt desires, in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring self-will, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. 
Suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a dumb donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. There's a lot there, but I think it all points to some very basic realities as we're going to look at it. I think today we're going to see to avoid false teachers, we need to believe, first of all, what God says. We need to believe about their nature, which we can't see, but God reveals. That nature which will be manifest in their actions. And next week, Lord willing, we'll take a look at their actions, which we can spot and understand. So this week, notice first of all, our passage begins, verse 10, with a word and. And especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. Obviously, as I've just read through, it doesn't stand on its own. Do you remember what we saw in the end of chapter 1 and chapters, and then going on to, to verses two, 1 through 3 of chapter 2? We saw that we had been given everything pertaining to life and godliness, which we do well to pay heed to it. And that we need to, first of all, remember concerning God's word. But, but... In a contrast, verse chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. There are going to be false teachers among you. Israel had false prophets in the past, and so too will the church have false teachers among you. They're going to, middle of verse 1, secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. They're going to introduce uh, doctrines that ruin your walk with Jesus. This isn't the context of the church. It ruins your walk with Jesus. And we're going to see at every turn that God makes it clear to us that swift destruction is coming, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And yet there's going to be damage, verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. Sensuality is translated licentiousness in other places. It's a license to, to, to sin. And we always think of immoral sins, but it's a license to sin in any way. In any way. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. It'll be blasphemed, the true way. And then we begin, as you'll remember, to see their motives, which we'll look at today in more depth. And in their greed, verse 3, they will exploit, or you with false words, we saw that exploit meant to do business. That's their business exploiting with plastic words molded words that's what they do and this is a statement we need to grasp otherwise as we see in the end of the book in chapter 3 verse 17 that we might be carried away by the air of unprincipled men and fall from our own steadfastness you can be steadfast in jesus christ and you can fall from that not to eternal damnation but temporal fall in your walk with jesus the reality is there are dangers. They come in the context of those, as we will see, who submit, diminish, attack, lessen, dismiss, twist the word of God. But God doesn't miss a beat. Notice the second half of verse 3. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. They're going to be destroyed. God doesn't miss it. 
And then the last time we were in First Peter, we saw some examples in verses 4 through 10. Three examples of how God has laid forth already and begun to judge certain groups to show us that he's not going to miss the judgment of these bad guys. In verses 4 through 10, we saw, first of all, that he judged the fallen angels who sinned during the time of Noah, right? He also judged the world of the ungodly in a worldwide flood. And he judged Sodom and Gomorrah, reducing it to ashes as an example. And yet within that, he delivered righteous Noah and also respectively righteous Lot. And it's from this point in verse 9 we come to our passage. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. In a general sense, those who are not going to repent and trust in Jesus Christ, God will keep under punishment until the day of judgment. And there is a day of judgment. And then notice he says in verse 10, our passage, and especially, there's a group within the world of non-believers and the unrighteous, and especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. The context here, as we're going to see, is this is speaking of the false teachers that he began to speak of in the beginning of chapter 2, and he will continue to speak of later on through chapter 2. He's saying God brought judgment upon those three groups as examples, that he that these people aren't going to get away with it, and especially those within the group of non-believers who rejected Christ, who do this, indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires, despise authority. We're going to see that the characteristics of false teachers internally are that they revel in their sin and they revile authority. They revel in their sin and internally they revile authority. And sometimes that comes out externally, by the way. They don't want Christ as Lord over them. They don't want anyone as Lord over them. And they actually speak against lordships, as we're going to see. As we're going to see. Now, the term indulge means to go in. They go into the flesh and it's corrupting lust. They go to, not in, but go to. The go-to reality for false teachers is the flesh, is indulging in their corrupted lusts. The term corrupted could be translated defiled. You could translate this defiled desires. They are their desires that have been defiled. They're sinfully wrong. And that's the go-to reality for false teachers. They go to defiled desires, especially those who go to defiled desires. That would include, as we'll see later on, deception as they carouse with believers. They have eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. They entice and lure unstable souls, and they are greedy, as we'll see in verse 14. That includes all of those defiled desires. They love the wages of unrighteousness. We're going to see that's what they indulge in. They indulge in their defiled wants. That's what they do. That's the go-to reality for them. And secondly, there's another thing that we see here. They also despise, in verse 10, authority. The term authority here literally speaks of lordships. That's You could translate it that way. Lordships. They despise Authority, the term despise speaks of thinking lightly or thinking lightly in a negative way, just disregarding, not caring about, not thinking about, not submitting to in that context. When you don't care about authority, you're not submitting to authority. Think about the criminal who doesn't care about the cops. He doesn't think at all about them. He just does his own thing. 
He despises authority, the authority of the law that is over him. So false teachers are being kept under judgment because not only because they indulge in their defiled desires, which specifically will see harm the church, but secondly, they're being kept under judgment because they despise lordship or authority. Lordship or authority. We're going to see later on that they have known the way of the Lord and Savior, Peter writes, Jesus Christ. They've known of the Lord. They've known of the Savior. They haven't come to him for salvation, but they know of it. They know of lordship salvation. They know about that. They know about that. They've come to a knowledge of the Lord and Savior, but have turned away. They despise authority, and it's going to be it was going to be manifest in how they despise angelic beings. In a minute, as we'll see that. So first of all, these false teachers are under God's judgment because, first of all, they revel in their defiled desires within the church, as we're going to see. And secondly, they revile or despise authority, authority in the spiritual spirit, as we're going to see, which I believe includes the Lord in a general sense. And we'll have an example in a minute. This is what's going on inside these bad guys. This is a summary that describes them that should warn us what's really happening when we see the evidence in the deeds later on, which we'll look at, Lord willing, next week. So middle of uh, verse 10, notice what he says. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do, do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. So here, these are daring, self-willed false teachers who arrogantly and ignorantly revise, revile and despise authority. This is an indication of what they do. Notice there are two words here. Daring, it's a noun. Self-willed is an adjective. Later on, we're going to see a stains and blemishes. You're going to see this. And later on, we're going to see accursed children. These are little indicators of some separation within the passage. Daring, self-willed. That's just all it says. It doesn't say they are daring, self-willed. It just says daring, self-willed. What does the term daring mean? Daring means bold. And it carries the context in the here of arrogance and presumption. They are bold in the things that they will say concerning angelic majesties. They are bold in those things. And they are, as we will see, arrogant. As we will see in respect to spiritual authority. Arrogant towards spiritual authority. Again, this word daring is modified by the adjective self-willed. The, the adjective self-willed comes from the Greek word I can't say it, authedis. That's probably wrong. It comes from the, the Greek word auto, which means self, and hedomai, which means take pleasure or delight. We get our word hedonism from it, right? We know what that means. They are those who take strictly pleasure in themselves. They take pleasure in their own selves. They are self-willed. It's, it's part of not submitting to lordship, by the way. It's being self-willed. But they're going to have a, an, ex, an external veneer that appears that they submit to Jesus. But they are daring and self-willed. Daring, self-willed. It is a characteristic, as we see, of non-believers. And it is not to be a characteristic of those who claim to shepherd for him. Titus chapter 1, verse 7. You see, someone who exhibits no or little respect for God's authority or the authority of another person is someone who is self-willed. As we mentioned earlier, the criminal is self-willed. They just do what they want. They don't respect the law or authority. 
self-willed. It's a characteristic here of false teachers, although they would portray themselves to be under the lordship of Christ. They will portray themselves to be so. But yet it is not the case as evidenced by their deeds. And now notice we have a visible example of their reviling in this circumstance here. And this probably was, probably was pretty significant to the church at this time. There were those around that Peter was probably pointing out that were doing these things that they could spot and see. And we've seen some of this in the churches these days. Daring, self-willed, middle of ten, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. The term revile comes from the word uh, blasphemos. It means to speak against, to speak against. And here it speaks, again, it speaks about them speaking against angelic majesties, or the term is glories, angelic glories. An interesting term for who they're talking about, by the way. These false teachers are quick, as we'll see in context of Jude and here, they are quick to call out demons and speak to them in the spiritual sphere. They're quick to, to revel them, to revile, to revile them. And yet the scripture says they do not tremble. They don't fear at all what they're doing. And they're also, as we'll see in a minute, ignorant about what they're doing. Verse 11, whereas, an explanation, angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Now the question is, who is the them there? Is it the false teachers or is it fallen angels? Well, in context of Jude, I believe it's fallen angels, as we're going to see. Now you might be, and so with that in mind, turn to Jude, just up a little bit, to Jude. I think this is helpful in understanding this passage. These bad guys have no respect for authority, that they're just, they're just uh, you know, reviling speaking against things that are much more powerful than they are, things to which even elect angels wouldn't even dare revile, but are saving that for God to say it to them, for God to say it. Jude 8, Yet in the same manner, these men also by dreaming, it's really what it is, it's, it's phony, right? It's all in their minds, defile the flesh and reject authority. Reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, the devil's an angelic majesty, by the way. When Michael disputed with the devil about and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce a, against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Even Michael didn't rebuke Satan. Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael's the archangel, the highest, right? Ark, that's, that's number one. But these, but these men revile things which they do not understand and things which they know, which they know by, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them. So you have these bad guys who are in the church and they're reviling Satan and his demons, all that stuff. That's an evidence something's wrong. Because they're not submitting to the authority of the Lord who is the only one to revile them. It's an authority issue. God's authority, he is the one to bring about their judgment, not, not man. And they don't even tremble. They don't tremble. You see, they, later on we'll see they promise you freedom from sin, but ultimately they despise authority because they're self-willed. 
and in their ignorance, just like animals that act on impulse, not reason. I had a problem with this because I got a dog, but as I looked at this, I realized what uh, Peter was saying. But verse 12, but like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge. He's talking about wild animals. Okay? They function by instinct. They're captured and killed. Okay? And within that, notice what he says. Reviling where they have no knowledge. That's speaking to the bad guys. They don't have understanding. They don't understand what they are doing, and they're doing it in arrogance. Will, in the destruction of those creatures, also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. Just like those animals are destroyed, ultimately false teachers will be destroyed. They're going to be destroyed. The term destroyed here speaks of ruin, not annihilation. You know, when someone is destroyed in hell forever body and soul in hell, that doesn't mean they're annihilated and they no longer exist. That means they are ruined forever and ever because they're in hell because of their sin. Just like the animals, they're going to be, these are going to be destroyed. And notice what he says, verse, end of verse, verse 13, suffering wrong for the wages of doing wrong. Suffering wrong for the wages of doing wrong. The term suffering wrong may not be the best translation. Really, it speaks of suffering harm, harm, or being harmed. Well, why are false teachers going to suffer harm? They are going to suffer harm as the wage of doing wrong. They're going to be destroyed and suffer harm. They're going to suffer harm. They're going to suffer forever and ever and ever for their sins as the wage or the paycheck for doing wrong. You could translate it this way. Suffering harm as the wage of literally unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. You see, these guys especially deserve judgment. Their judgment's going to be severe. But anyone who has not trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is in their sin. It's unrighteous. You will suffer the wage of that. You will suffer eternal harm for your unrighteousness because God is a just God. But in his justice, he is also a loving God who sent Jesus to die for us to pay the full penalty. He suffered for us instead. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. We were unrighteous when we trusted in Christ. We are righteous. But if you stay in your unrighteousness, you're going to suffer harm for your unrighteous deeds, for your wrong actions. For your wrong actions. So then we see here false Teachers at heart are reviling rebels. They are daring and self-willed who despise authority. Ultimately, Christ and his authority over them. You see, it's not just yelling at those angels. That It's really the authority of Christ over them. You see, because it's God's place to revile the false, the demons and Satan, not, not ours. Not ours. Now notice, they're also characterized by the fact that they revel. They revel. They are stains and blemishes in the church who actually receive internal joy by deceiving believers for their own gain. This is it's like, man, can someone actually be that way? Yes. Yes, they can, because God says so. Look at the middle of verse 13. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. We're going to talk about that in a minute. They are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions. As they carouse with you. Remember, they're among you. 
having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. The term revel here, translated uh, in the middle of 13, and in the end, reveling, came to speak of a way of life, of, of luxurious living. That's what it came to speak of. It speaks of splendor, splendor. It speaks in this context of wrongfully enjoying something as your lifestyle. As your lifestyle. It's pleasureful, delighting in something wrong. They revel. They delight in something wrong. And notice the second half of verse 13 through 14. It speaks of these false teachers' internal realities and behavior in the church. Remember, these false teachers would be among you. Chapter 2, verse 1, right? They're going to be in the body of Christ. They're going to rise up at different times in different places. They're going to be in the body of Christ. And so within this horrid description, what's going on inside these people? Notice they reckon it joy, not to go through trials, but to delight in their deceptions. They count it, middle of verse 13, a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They count it a pleasure to revel. The term counted is the term translated other places, reckon, or to think. It means to think, to, to make a mental note. It doesn't have emotions. It's just putting something on the ledger. I account this this way. They count it pleasure. Pleasure to revel in the daytime. The term pleasure speaks of enjoyment or joy. They delight in wrong actions. Why does God share this with us? Because we need to see how bad they really are, right? Because it's hard for us to acknowledge it. Like I shared in the beginning, we can look at someone out there who's doing bad things and go, oh, yeah, they're bad. But when someone around us is doing that, you go, well, you know. Well, if the deeds reveal that, this is where the heart is at. We need to see this. It reveals how dangerous people are. There are dangerous people out there. There are liars. There are deceivers. There are dangerous people out there, and there are dangerous people in the church. We need to see it. It is hard for us to fathom this, but we need to go to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to renew our hearts. Notice, they enjoy and delight in deceiving believers. End of 13. They enjoy and delight in destructive heresies, verse 1, luring unstable souls, verse 15, enticing arrogant, empty, fleshly, by flesh, fleshly words, verse 18. They enjoy and delight by exploiting with false words. They enjoy what they do. These men or women receive perverse delight in their wrong actions. They get perverse delight in it. You wonder, why would people twist Scripture? Why would they do that? Why would they mold their words? Why would they lie to you? Why would they manipulate you? Why would they flatter you? Why would they do that? Well, here, middle of verse 13, it says, they counted pleasure to revel in the daytime. Now, I was wondering, what does this term in the daytime mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? I think it's metaphorical here. It points to the reality that they're doing this in the open in the church. It's in the open. And they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing, but many people do not. And they revel in it. They revel in it. Notice the end of 13. Reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. As they carouse with you. The term carouse came to speak of uh, you know, a fellowship meal. Uh, you'll see in, in the Jude, it speaks of, you know, a love feast, in a sense. 
They're coming together. It's, it's the fellowship of the body of Christ. And they revel in that. They revel in their, what does it say? Deceptions. Deceptions. They revel in their deceptions. Pretty straightforward. Pretty, 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 pretty scary when you think about it that people can be like this, right? That they could be like this. Reveling in their deceptions. Notice what he says here. There are also stains and blemishes. Look at middle of verse 13. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes. These are people who deceive. They are those who would have known the Lord Jesus as Savior, not as a personal Savior, but they know about the Lord and Savior. You'll see that in verses 21 and 22. But they have turned back to their own vomit. They've turned back to their old sinfulness. They did not trust in Christ. They pretended to trust in Jesus. They knew about it, but they turned back. They turned back. And they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. And notice this phrase here. They are, continually habitually, stains and blemishes. What are they stains and blemishes to? Why be the context is the body of Christ. They're stains and blemishes. The term stain speaks just of that, a stain. Think of a white dress with a big jelly stain on the front, right? It's obvious, right? They are stains in the midst of those who are holy by faith in Jesus Christ. They are stains in the midst of the saints of the church because of Jesus who are righteous. They are unrighteous. They are stains in the midst of the bride of Christ, which is, which is white and snow because of Christ. They are stains. And notice we have the term blemishes. The term blemish speaks of a defect or that even which causes disgrace. Blemishes. They're stains and disgraceful defects. And later on, we're going to see they're defectors also, by the way. They appear to be believers, but they are not. They are stains and blemishes in the church, Peter says. And God lets us know that. And again, I mentioned this earlier, but notice he says they're stains and blemishes, and then he says reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with who? With you. They're fellowshipping with you. At least in this context. False teachers, when they do arise, when they do come in, they're not all the time, but when they do, when they do, they fellowship with you. With you. Reveling, they count it joy and a pleasure to deceive you as they are with you. Isn't that terrible? It's terrible. Term feasting or love feast. It's fellowship of believers. We know in in Jude, they are those who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. Hidden reefs in a love feast. What is he saying? That's Jude verse 12. That means that in your love feast, if you think of an ocean, you know, and you have the water, and then you have a reef underneath that you can't see, when you're riding in your ship or boat, you hit that reef, you're going to crash. They're there. They're in the midst. And they're going to cause you to spiritually crash and sink if you're not warned. They are hidden reefs in your love feast. They do it in the context of fellowship. As they feast with you without fear, actually, Jude 12. These wicked false teachers disguise themselves and deceive as, as those, as believers among you, they say, say they are. Turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And while you're turning there, 
I'm going to read from 2 Timothy 3.13, where Paul says, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. An imposter is someone who portrays themselves to be something else. You think, well, do they know that? That deceiving and being deceived? Well, they must be deceived. Well, no, they're not deceived in what they're doing. They're deceived in thinking the outcome is going to come out the way they think. They're going to hell. They think they're going to get away with it. That's the deception, by the way. But they're not deceived. They revel in what they do. They love it. They live for it. It's their splendor. It's their splendor. That's what they live for. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, or workers of deceit, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising. Well, we shouldn't marvel, right? But we do. If his servants, that Satan's servants, also disguise themselves as what? Servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. These people know exactly what they're doing. They revel in their deceptions. They're deceiving you. They're going to use you for their own gain and you will spiritually fall from your steadfastness if you allow it to happen. You will spiritually fall. And then notice back in our passage, they have eyes full of adultery. Look at verse 14 back in Second Peter 2. Having eyes full of adultery and that never cease from sin. They have eyes full of adultery. Eyes full of adultery. What does that mean? That means everything they look at in the way they're just full of adultery. They're, they're wicked. If you know what I'm talking about, adultery, they're, they're, they're lusting. It's full of it. And notice he says, and that never cease from sin. I think of that speaking of their eyes. Their eyes never cease from sin. Everywhere they look, it's, they're sinning. They're sinning with their thoughts. They're sinning in their hearts. Turn to Luke chapter 11, verse 34. These people who portray themselves ultimately on the inside are corrupt. And it is evidence in their desires. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. You see, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And this is one evidence. They have eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. They love it. They love it. Luke chapter 11, verse 34. The lamp of your body is your eye. And when your eye is clear, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full, also full of, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, watch out that the light in you may not be darkness. The reality of what's going on in your heart is going to manifest in, in what your eyes do, what you look at in terms of your lusts on a continual basis. They never cease from sinning. What they look at is in the context of filling their own desires in every way, shape, and form, certainly full of adultery, but also they never cease from sinning. We're getting a view on the inside that we cannot see. You can't point to someone and say, this is what's going on. God can point to them, and we're going to see based on their behavior, then we can understand who they might be. But we can't see this. It is hard to think that someone who names the name of Christ, 
who is teaching. But by the way, you'll see later on, the word is being twisted. They're being pulled away from a dependence on Jesus Christ. It's being, they're introducing destructive heresies. Those things are going on. But it's hard to believe when someone's doing that. Wow, can they really be this way? Well, God says, yes, they are. They don't cease from sinning. They're pretending to be believers. But as they, everything they look and observe is in the context of their own sinful desires. Folks, we got to see this. There are bad people out there and they're on their way to hell and they're disguised. And they know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Then notice the next little statement here. Enticing unstable souls. Hmm. The word enticing speaks of luring. When you think of a lure, what do you think of? I think of fishing, right? I think of something put on the end of a, a line that appears to be something that lures someone, or not someone, but some type of a little fishy, right? To, to go ahead and bite that lure, and then, but yet they're hooked, right? It actually isn't what they think. They think they're going to get a meal, but what they're going to get is they're going to be the meal, right? It's a lure. It's a lure. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They go after the weak spiritually, by the way. Enticing unstable souls. That's where they go. Unstable. What's the term unstable mean? It means not settled. There are believers who by reason of sin in their lives are not stable, tossed to and fro, being double-minded. You believe Jesus here, but you don't believe you're worrying about this. You're unstable. You trust Jesus this day, the next day you're all worried about everything all day long. You're unstable. They entice unstable souls. Those who are vulnerable, those who maybe doctrinally are unstable, or who could be tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine because they're not built up. Could be speaking of those who are weak in the faith. They're, they're weak in their understanding of Scripture and they're unstable. Certainly, again, I can speak of the double-minded. The double-minded, as we see in the book of James. The double-minded. If you're double-minded, don't think you're going to receive anything from the Lord when you pray, right? So you're unstable. If you are unstable in your walk with Christ, you are vulnerable to these guys who are going to come along and lure you. That's what you're vulnerable to. You're vulnerable to that. He doesn't say enticing the solid brothers and sisters that are walking faithfully. He says enticing unstable souls. They go after the weak ones. The weak ones. Let me ask you, is your soul unstable? Do you go in and out emotionally from one thing to another? Do things toss you one way all of a sudden and toss you the other way? Your mind gets caught up in thinking this way all the time, then this way all the time? Or do you take those thoughts to Christ and submit your mind and let him control your mind? Are you stable in your walk with Christ or unstable in your walk with Christ? If you are emotionally unstable, spiritually unstable, you are, a, you are, a, you are one of those in which they go after enticing, luring, luring. They lure you in, as we see earlier, with plastic words. They exploit you with false words. They lure you because you're unstable. You're unstable. You're vulnerable. If you are an unstable soul and you realize it, just confess your sin. You know, repentance is everything. You confess your sin, you're forgiven. And walk rightly before the Lord. Allow his word to guide your heart. Believe what he says. Don't go back and forth doubting and believing, doubting and believing. Unstable. 
Believe what God has said. Trust in Him with your whole heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, not part of your ways, or you're unstable. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Yes, we all totter up here and there. We all trip up. We all make mistakes. But by and large, you are either stable in your faith with Christ or you are unstable. And if you are unstable, you are an absolute target, as God would say here, enticing, unstable souls. should be a warning to get your walk right with Christ so that you are not vulnerable to bad guys on TV, bad guys on the radio, bad guys in the church, wherever it might be. There are people who are caught up and are unstable. We've seen this on a small scale where those who get drawn away are unstable in their walks with Christ. They've they got issues. They go after the, 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 the ones that are unstable. The vulnerable. Don't animals do the same thing? Animals go after the unstable. How do they lure them? They do it as they carouse with you, by the way. They do it in the context of fellowship. They get close to you. They lure you. They will exploit you with false words, chapter 2, verse 3. They will lure you by fleshly desires, chapter 2, verse 18. Let's take a look at that, Second Peter 2, verse 18. Notice how they lure, by the way. Notice what they put out there with their little satanic fishing rods. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 18. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity. These are, these are arrogant words that have no content. By the way, this is gonna next, we'll see this next time, but it is an explanation of the fact that they are clouds without water. You think spiritually you're going to be fed, and you're not. You think you're going to be watered, and you're not, because they are arrogant words of emptiness. Emptiness. Notice he says here, while they entice, same word, lure, by fleshy desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in air. They lure the ones who barely escaped, who are barely, they, they, they are not living in air, but they barely escaped because they're unstable. You see? They're barely walking with Christ, by the way. Barely. Barely. They do it through fleshly desires. They, they, they appeal through their false words to your desires, your desire to not do this or that, or whatever it might be, your desires. They appeal to those things rather than God's will. Rather than God's will. They appeal to the sensuality, which is the same word licentiousness. A license, in a sense, to, to not obey God's word because of maybe what's going on in your life, or whatever it might be. You can hear those things. Well, we know you've had a bad childhood, and yeah, that's okay why you don't do this, even though God says so, right? Well, no, it, they appeal to your flesh and your sensuality, a license to sin. They mix in. False, twisted words, they ultimately pull you away from complete dependence on Christ and faith in him, believing what he said, where we will stand in. Don't fall from your own steadfastness. Don't fall. If you're unstable, you're close, by the way. They'll lure you in, following Jesus through spirituality rather than faith, giving you a license to get away with sin. We always think of it as immoral sin. Maybe it's just not forgiving someone. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's being angry. Maybe it's worrying. Whatever it might be, you have a license. It's okay in a sense. They won't say that, but the ultimate outcome, what they say is. And notice, not only do they count it joy to deceive believers, they love it. 
They love what they get from it. They love what they get from it. Towards the end of verse 14, we have having, or have, or verse 14, having a heart trained in greed. Having a heart trained in greed. This is interesting. We know the term greed. We looked at it before. It speaks of an intense, selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, position, or a following or gratification, whether it's sexual, whatever it might be. It could be translated covetousness. It's an intense, evil desire, wanting something you don't have. You see, because greedy never fulfilled, by the way. It never fulfills you. Greed is a good translation. Remember, we saw it back in verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. The desire to make money off ministry, power, receive position, a following, or sensual gratification drives what they're doing. They benefit by deceiving people and having them follow after them. They benefit in some way, whether financial, personal, or relational. It is greedy. And they have what we're going to see here is a heart that is continually, habitually trained, having been trained in greed. It's continually, habitually greedy, having already in the past, which affects them. It's a done deal. It's already been trained. The term trained comes from our Greek, trained comes from our Greek word, gymnazo, to, to work out a gym, right? Their hearts in the past have been completely worked out in greed. They have trained in it. And it's done, and that affects them now, and that heart is continually that way now. That's the way they are. And if we don't see this, we're not going to see the danger, folks. God shares this so we know the danger. See, because we tend to not think no one could actually be that way. When we see the signs from their behavior, which we'll see later on next week, you can read it in advance, then you'll know why God shares these things. Heart trained in greed. False teachers are greedy. They make whatever it's for the money off ministry, the power they receive, the position, the spiritual following, the gratification, whatever it is, that's what drives them to deceive you. That's what drives them. They love the way they have strayed. Notice this. They love the wages of what they do in unrighteousness. They love it. They love it. They love the wages of what they do in unrighteousness. We're going to see that. They love it. They love the way that they have strayed. They love it. They love the paycheck, the power, the position, the spiritual falling, the sexual gratification. They have hearts trained in it. And here we see what the Lord is sharing, that it is ugly. It is ugly. But that's what's going on in the heart. The identifying marks. And in reality, they are not believers, but they are, they are not children of God. They are, a children, they are children of a curse. They are children of a curse. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed, notice this, end of 14, accursed children. Accursed children. Here we see very clearly they are children, literally children of a curse. They are accursed children. They are not blessed. They are not believers that are blessed in Jesus Christ. They are cursed. They are accursed children. Turn to uh, Jeremiah 17, verse uh, 5. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. We're going to see later on. They turned away from the Lord. They turned away and went back to their vomit. They turned away. Cursed. Cursed. These are children of a curse. 
Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. And this is a passage that has caused a lot of people some consternation based on the fact that, that they understand the truth that someone who is truly saved can, cannot lose their salvation. That is true. But there are those who appear to be saved who are not saved who will then show their true colors and, re- and reveal that they are accursed. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For in the case of those who have been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. They have been convicted by the Spirit of God. The word of God has convicted them. They've partaken of that. Some of you have. You've been convicted of the truth of God and the the good things to come. You've heard of that truth in the scriptures. You've been around true believers. You've seen it. You've seen it. And have tasted, verse 5, the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have what? Fallen away, apostatized. It is impossible to renew them to begin to repentance, since they crucify themselves, to crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him in open shame. Four, and there's an example from, 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 uh, from, from, uh, the ground here. From the ground drinks up the rain which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful for those whose sake it is tilled receives a blessing from God. You know, the ground that gets the water and has the crops come up, it's a blessing, right? It's an example. But but if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and ends up being burnt. And he's going to say, but we have better things for you believers, you're true believers, but those who aren't, who exhibit that through their true behavior, these back in our passage are accursed children. They're not believers. They're not believers. They're accursed, accursed children. That's what God says. And notice, they're not children of God, but they portray themselves to be so, but they have forsaken the right way. Look at verse 15 back in Second Peter chapter 2. Forsaking the right way. We're going to see this in detail next time in verses 20 and 21. They knew the right way. The right way is through faith in Jesus Christ, recognizing you're a sinner. They understood that, that he is Lord, as we'll see in chapter verse 21, Lord and Savior. They knew that. And the right way is to follow Jesus by faith, having come to faith in Jesus Christ, forsaking. They have turned away from the right way. They have gone astray. They have gone astray. Having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a dumb donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. Some of you may or may not know the story of Balaam back in Numbers chapter 22 and 23. Some of you may be familiar, but if you're not, I'm just going to summarize it very quickly. He was a wicked prophet. We see in the book of Numbers, he was hired by Balak, the king of Moab, Israel's enemy, to curse Israel. But God would not let him do so. And in his madness, Balaam's madness and disobedience to God, Numbers 22, the Lord confronted him with the sword drawn and Balaam's donkey, seeing the Lord wouldn't move. And Balaam struck him a few times. And Balaam even said, if I had a, whor- uh, a horse, if I had a sword, I would have killed you. And then the Lord, the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and he speaks to Balaam in his madness. Balaam has a conversation with the donkey, not realizing the Lord was against him. And then notice what our passage says. 
But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a dumb donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. You see, Balaam forsook the right way, and he went the way, obviously, or excuse me, not Balaam, but here, these bad guys have forsaken the right way and gone astray, and they've gone the way of Balaam. Well, what's the way of Balaam? It is one who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved the paycheck he got for his sin. He loved it. And his sin was being a prophet, quote-unquote, in the way he did things. You see, in Scripture also reveals, Revelation 2.14, that Balak kept teaching to put a stumbling block, or, or Balaam kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols to commit acts of immorality. He taught wickedness. So here, why would Balaam do such a thing? Why would false teachers do such a thing? Look at the end of verse 15. Who loved the wages of unrighteousness. These false teachers have known the right way. We'll see it next week. The right way in Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. The right way they've known it. Maybe they're like you. You've been in the church. You've heard the truth of God. and You haven't responded. I pray that you don't go the wrong way. I pray you trust in Christ. They've known the right way, but they went astray. And notice they love the wages of unrighteousness. They love luring believers and deceiving them, unstable souls. They love it. They love what they get out of it. They love carousing with you in your love feasts. They love it. They have heart trains and greed, and the paycheck they get for their horrible unrighteousness against the Lord and his people is power, position, followers, control, sexual gratification, self-gratification. They love the way they have strayed. They love the way they have strayed, and we need to know that. Because Peter said earlier, false teachers will arise among you. It's going to happen. Now, next week, we're going to see very specifically how we can recognize these false teachers. We've seen the heart today. We've seen what's going on, and it is ugly, and it is, it is awful. But we can't see that. God shows us the heart. We've seen it through the Word of God. You can't point to anyone and say this is happening in their heart. But God is going to show us what their actions are like when they have hearts like these, that we would avoid those who are such. I began speaking about how do we recognize when there are evil people among us? How do we recognize it? How do we recognize it? Sometimes we're unwilling to acknowledge that people could be that evil, that they could deliberately lie, that they could deliberately deceive people, they could deliberately flatter for the sake of gaining advantage. It's hard to say how someone would do that. Well, we've seen the first part where God wakes us up to show us the internal workings of those who have turned away from the Lord and they love the way that they have strayed. And it's a warning to us. So with that in mind, just to summarize, I just want to read through the passage rather than summarizing each piece, as usually there's a lot of pieces here. Let's go back to verse 9. I want to read through the passage. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation to keep the unri- and to keep the right unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Verse 9. It's, and it's specially... Those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires to despise authority. Daring self-will, they do not tremble or fear when they revile angelic majesties. 
whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring do not bring our violent judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery that, that, never, see, that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a dumb donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. Next week we're going to see their actions, which can help us avoid such men. But how does this apply to us? How does this apply to us? Some of you are here are on the verge of being accursed children. You know the truth. You know the way, the right way. You know the right way is through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't harden your heart. Turn before it's too late. Or you might find yourself turning away from what you say you believe. Truly turn to Christ. Or you might find that happens. And sometimes, as Scripture says, it might even be impossible to renew someone to repentance. Don't turn away. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Well, what about believers? We need to see and understand there are people like this. God says so. We need to see that. And when we come across those situations where we just can't believe it, but we see the actions that identify it, we need to go to the Word of God to have God's Word inform our hearts and minds so that we are not deceived by our own emotions and affections. We need to do that. These false teachers infiltrate the church. They're in the open, and then they secretly in the open attempt to deceive believers. They love it. They revel in it. It brings them joy to deceive and lie to you, to secretly introduce destructive heresies, to pull you away from growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. But God is a good God. God wants us to trust in his Son to walk in a manner worthy, to rely on him, to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And so he warns us of the threats to that. And I pray that we listen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. You are so good. Thank you for the warning. Thank you for clarifying for us what's really going on in the heart of these people you say will arise among us. Lord, help us when we, if, when and if, Lord God, we encounter uh, false teachers, Lord God, to see it from your perspective and then to respond as you would have us respond. Lord, I pray for uh, those who don't know you, those who are accursed in a sense. Lord, I pray that they would turn and trust in your son, Jesus. I pray for believers here who are unstable souls. Lord, I pray they would just confess their emotional ping-pong ball of thoughts. They would just confess it, Lord God. Confess their 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 thinking, which is all over the map, and they would hold every thought captive to the obedience of your Son. They would trust him wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, wholeheartedly. And Father, for those of us who desire to walk with you and are walking with you, Lord God, I pray that we would take heed, you who stand lest you fall. We are all vulnerable. We are vulnerable to being taken captive, Lord God, by those who would deceive. Help us to apply your word to our hearts that we would be protected 
by you.